name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Tuesday evening, reflecting into history. If you have been a faithful listener to this program, you know that uh, each and every Tuesday evening, we gather ourselves here at the studio and we talk about uh, the great Christian ancient thinkers along with uh, church history. We are uh, still in the early stages. This is, I believe, the 11th week. And as you know, if you've been a faithful listener, I have John O'Hara, a parishioner over at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church, joining me tonight. So, John, it is great to have you with me again. Great to be here again, Joe. Thank you. So, John, tonight, as I was uh, talking there, you know, we're still early, so we're still in Acts. The book of Acts is the first church history book if you will. So we are in our third week in Acts, and really this will be our last week. We, what have we talked about? Well, we talked about Christ telling the apostles, to, I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he did in the upper room in Pentecost, where the fire came down upon the apostles, and they went out, and they did what Jesus commanded them to do, to baptize and to teach. Uh, we spent some time last week talking about uh, Stephen, the proto-martyr, the first martyr, uh, this great deacon, this great saint, and his uh, beautiful hymn to salvation history that he gives us. And of course, Paul, that is Saul, consenting to Stephen's death, we see in chapter 8, verse 1. And of course, in chapter 9, we have his great conversion. For a time, Saul was uh, sending uh, Christians to prison, and now he became a prisoner of Christ this dramatic story. And so we arrive, John, to Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem, which is really a defining moment in Christian history. Uh, It was convened to examine the status of Gentile believers that were crowding into the church. Some insisted that they must be circumcised to complete their Christian initiation. But the council itself rejected the push to add circumcision to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So the stage is set where you have one, the nation of Israel, and two, this, uh, this new covenant people. Uh, they call themselves Christians. So over in the left corner, it's, <laughs> it's the Sanhedrin and uh, the old law. And over in the other corner, it's the apostles and the new law. And so you have this, this council, this gathering. And uh, what are they going to decide? Well, what was the message of Jesus Christ? Are we to still circumcise to enter into relationship with God? Or are we to baptize? And where do the Gentiles fall in line with all of this? So this is the debate, I mean, that the stage has has been set. As far as dates are concerned, John, this is 49 AD. So this is roughly 16 years after the death of Christ, 16 years of missionary apostolic work. And uh, this is where they find themselves here in Acts 15, in this real uh, centerpiece in, 
in, in the book of Acts. Now, before we get into reading the verses, I think it's important to note here, this really is the stuff of covenant, right? When you use the word covenant, you're talking about a compact agreement, right? The Latin convenire. But in light of God, it's just not a compact agreement. It's, it's more than things. It's persons. It's a family bond. So it's not, this is yours and this is mine. It's, I am yours and you are mine. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the way you entered into relationship with God was in circumcision. And in the New Covenant, according to Jesus Christ, it was baptism. So what's going on here? Well, it's interesting to me. First of all, covenant and contract. We've mentioned this before. We don't, you don't go to the lawyer's office to make a covenant. You go to the lawyer's office to make a contract. Covenant mm-hmm. is an agreement between God and man. That's it's a much heightened agreement. Yeah. And I found it interesting that the Antioch Church has this issue with Pharisaical Jews, who I assume are also Christian. And what do they do in Antioch? They decide we better send this down to Jerusalem mm-hmm. because that's where Peter and the, and, and the gang is, the, the head guys are. I thought that was interesting, and it was a tradition that continued to be followed up to this day. Amen. And uh, they had to go in and get this taken care of down there. Amen. Why don't you uh, read those verses for us, John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, reporting reporting the conversions of the Gentiles, and they gave great joy to all brethren. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles, and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to charge them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter rose and said to them, Brethren, You know that in the early days God made choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you make trial of God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. We believe that we shall be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Amen. Thanks, John. Now, I want to go back to highlight some verses. Verse 1, you cannot be saved. You know, for centuries, uh, circumcision was the right of initiation into the covenant family of Abraham. If you're to go back into Genesis 17, this is uh, where you can draw that from. And also the Mosaic religion of Israel. It was 
a badge of Jewish identity that entitled one to share in the blessings of the Old Covenant. If you were to go into the Book of Jubilees, uh, it highlights that there was this absolute necessity of circumcision uh, to enter into this uh, covenant relationship with God. And if you didn't, uh, destruction followed. I want to highlight this, John, because I think it's really important for uh, our listeners, and if you're reading these verses, to appreciate uh, maybe the tension, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to really yeah. uh, appreciate there are two sides here, and they have come together for a reason. That is to, to come to appreciate what it is, in fact, that Jesus Christ was teaching, and what is the meaning of what he was teaching. You know, I, I love, there's a beautiful footnote here um, from one of the commentaries that talks about the nature of the church and how it proved itself to be a covenant community distinct from Judaism and a Catholic community that embraces all nations. I, I thought that was a nice piece there. Again, old law, new law. Old law was circumcision. New law is this new dispensation of grace, God's grace, God's goodness, baptism, right? The Eucharist. This is how you entered into relationship with God in the new law. If you were to go back into the Old Testament, John, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and following, what you find there I think is really interesting. It is the only time that you read of the new covenant in the old covenant or the New Testament in the Old Testament. And it's that great prophecy where Jeremiah is talking about how when the the coming of the Messiah comes, the law, law, will no longer be written on stone, but will be etched onto the heart, scribed onto the heart. See, with the coming of the Messiah, there will be a new law, right? And that new law is the grace given to us in baptism. Because again, as we've been talking about these past few weeks, and the grace that we receive in baptism is that grace that empowers us to say and cry, Abba, Father. This is what the new law is about. And this, this is really the, the centerpiece, if you will. As we're talking about law and grace, John, it is to remember in the Old Testament, the word for law was what? Yara. This is a relational term. It was an archery term to strike bullseye. When you lived in the law of God, you you were hitting the mark. Right. This is why uh, sin literally means in the Greek to miss the mark. Okay. Uh, law is about relationship, and the new law is the grace that Christ gives us, so that we might live a more vibrant relationship. You know, John, as we're talking about this. I can't help but think about uh, the people that were in this council, right? You have Paul, of course, we've already noted him, Barnabas, uh, Peter, and James. And isn't it interesting that Peter stands up and in his pronouncement, he quells the debate. And once he makes the pronouncement, the debate seems to be over. Mm -hmm. We have two sides contending, and they both give their reasons. And then when Peter speaks, it seems that the debate is over with. Yeah. James ties things up. Peter Peter gives you the decision, and James kind of gives a very interesting concurring opinion. Yes, he does. Yeah. Peter, as he's speaking, he really argues from the precedent of Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, on the fact that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. 
right? Well, the Holy Spirit, the power that the master teacher gave us fell upon the Gentiles. Well, they belong too. I want to go back to Acts 10 and, and read that. Acts 10, verses 44 to 48. Uh, if you have your Bibles out there, that's chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. Uh, this is when the Gentiles received the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, while Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the, uh, the, received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Well, there you have it. Again, we have to be clear on something here, John. When we talk about covenant and relationship between the old and new, all of these covenants made in the Old Testament, it was never universal. It always had uh, an identity less than that which was uh, universal. So, for example, the covenant made between God and Noah, it was a household. The covenant made between God and, and Moses, there was a national covenant. God and David, it was a kingdom bigger than, than the national covenant made with Moses because kingdoms rule nations, but it still wasn't international. The covenant that Christ came to establish was what? Katholike in the Greek, right? Catholic. The, the word Catholic means universal. Gentile, Jew, Greek, and like, all people are included into this new covenant, this new dispensation and grace. And it has all the markings of what James talks about here in verses 12 and following. And I'm going to go ahead and read that now, John. Uh, here, this is Acts 15, chapter 15, verse 12. And all the assembly kept silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, that the rest of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who has made these things known from of old. Now, John, we have talked about the kingdom of David a great deal. Uh, Just in our first 10 weeks, uh, we have devoted quite a bit of time. And I know on one note, we spoke of the great prophecy in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 11 and following. I want to go here because we have to. What did James just now, who's James? James is now the bishop of Jerusalem, so it is right for him to speak up now, right? He quotes Jeremiah, and then he quotes the prophet Amos. Now, he's doing this because of the significance of the covenant that God made with David. And what was that covenant? Well, listen to these words. In the world of important verses in the Old Testament, John, this is very, very important. Listen, this is from 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 16. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. When he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. 
but I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there you have it. God speaking through the prophet of Nathan to David says, I will establish my house forever. I mean, take a closer look at these words, John. The Lord will make you a house. David will be not just king for a day or a lifetime, but the founder of a royal dynasty. I will establish his kingdom. The son of David, of course, Solomon here, who is going to be a prototype of Jesus Christ, will be a ruler of a vast kingdom that includes all of Israel, but also the rest of the world. And this is what James is talking about in Acts 15. If you were to go into the books of Chronicles, there's a number of verses that talk about uh, the kingdom of David being the kingdom of Yahweh that's going to include the whole world. And how about this verse? He shall build a house for my name. David's son will build the temple as a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon builds a temple for the presence of God. Jesus Christ himself is the new temple, the presence of God. I will be his father and he shall be my son. David's son would be adopted as God's own son. That's the essence of that, that verse. It's interesting. This is the first time we see and we read of uh, this explicit language of God's own son. The covenant God made to Abraham. Your tennis sentence will be as large as the stars in the sky, yes. the sand on the shore. That's the same huge number of people. Yeah. And then to David and then all the world. Yeah, that's, God, God has made that promise of huge numbers of people before. At the beginning, in fact. Yes, in Genesis 12, verses uh, 1 to 3, that beautiful covenant uh, yeah. between God and Abraham, uh, that threefold promise. And it's no wonder, John, you know why the Gospel of Matthew opens up with Jesus Christ, yeah. the son of Abraham, the son of David. And that really highlights this last point. Uh, your throne shall be established forever. And the dynasty of David is not going to be around for just 200 years, 300 years, 500 years, but John, forever for all eternity. Uh, you know, when dynasties rise and fall uh, in, in other earthly monarchies, but this is different. This is the promise. A little aside, I was quite impressed with James's speech, and what impressed me a lot was the fact that Jewish catechesis sure can show Catholics how to go about catechizing. I mean, these guys knew their Old Testament, and I mean, they, they couldn't quote it, they've been through it, they didn't have books and yet they listened so closely, they knew their stuff. Yeah. I wish we did. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting as you bring that up, John, and really it, it goes to the, to the heart of, of this program, because what was Jewish catechesis? How did the Jews catechize? The Jews didn't have a catechism. Nope. No, it was just their liturgy, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I mean, you, you go to the synagogues and, and you study. And when you study the Word of God feverishly as they did, then you're going to have the Word of God memorized, right? I mean, imagine if we as Catholics went to church every day, you, you listened to the Word of God every day, you reflected upon the Word of God, and then you're asked to teach on the Word of God. That's another thing about what the Jews did. You know, uh, certainly once you were established, you were a teacher, and when you taught, like anyone who's a teacher, they know this, you... Uh, there's reinforcement. You remember. 
You know, the more time you teach one subject, the more you're going to remember about that subject. We would be well served for obvious reasons to attend Mass each and every day um, for the Eucharist, of course, but also uh, to build up our faith, our understanding of the faith. Again, it's that great proverb, what you feed grows. The more you spend time with something, the more familiar you are going to be with whatever it is that you're spending time with. And if it's God, then you're going to be more familiar with the stuff of God. People ask, you know, some, hey, how do you remember Scripture so well? Well, if you're spending time with Scripture, then you're going to remember Scripture. And certainly, yeah, there's something to be said about memorizing certain verses. But in the end, to truly remember Scripture is to spend time with Scripture, to teach Scripture, to pray Scripture. Uh, So, yeah, Jewish catechesis was about going to the services, and uh, yeah, it was then on your fingertips. And this is what's going on with James here. You know, he just quotes, you know, Jeremiah and and the prophet Amos, and, and beautifully so. And what is he saying? The kingdom of David is being restored. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, destroyed for a time, but hey, God does not break his promises. And he said, I will be with you forever. I will be with you forever. I mean, why did Matthew painstakingly go through his narrative highlighting Christ as the son of David? On nine separate times, Matthew, Mark, John, they don't do this. Nine separate times do we find the title Son of David in the Gospel of Matthew. Why? Because he wants us to see that Jesus Christ comes from the line of Abraham, yes, and David. And he has come to reestablish the kingdom of David, uniting the 12 tribes symbolically with the 12 apostles because now Gentile, Jew, Greek, all, all are on board. We have a couple of genealogies in the New Testament. We have Matthew. I believe we have one in Luke. And I also like John's chapter 1. Jesus Christ came from God, light from light. That's his genealogy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, spiritual genealogy. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It certainly fits. Uh, so, revisiting here a little bit, John, Acts 15, and uh, some of these words going back to chapter 15, now down to verse 19, we read, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the pollutions of idols and from unchastity and from what is strangled and from blood. For from early generations Moses has had in every city those who preach him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now it's interesting here we have... James, who is setting forth a pastoral initiative to promote fellowship and kind of preempt uh, foreseeable friction between the Jews and the Gentiles uh, who are coming together in the church. I think this is a wonderful insight to gain here, that out from this pastoral initiative, we have an apostolic letter from Jerusalem to the churches in Syria, Cilicia, that requires Gentile converts to observe a minimal code of religious purity. Uh, from What did we read there? Abstinence from idle food, sexual immorality, and uh, the consumption of blood and meat or by itself. Why would James set out to do this? Well, let's think about this. You know, the Jews abhorred these practices as cultural expressions of idolatry. 
So James is saying that even though the Gentiles are exempt from the ritual observances of Judaism, i.e. circumcision, they are still expected to break away from the ritual observances of paganism. That's the wisdom there. You see, once you have a relationship with God, now everything is different. Your world has turned upside down. And these Gentile believers, yeah, they are now included in this new dispensation of grace, this new covenant church. And now their lives must reflect that. This is a, this is a pastoral move here from James. You read a little earlier about the chapter about Cornelius, the uh, centurion, yes. Gentile, and the Holy Spirit very visibly fell upon him and his family. Peter was there, witnessed it, and he is quite aware that this church and the Holy Spirit is for everybody, as Christ had said at his ascension. That's right, John, and it is fitting that we circle back as we wrap up our study on uh, the book of Acts by revisiting our Lord's words when he says to the apostles, I will give you the Holy Spirit to bear witness to truth. I will send you forth under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is what the book of Acts is about. As we study the great figures through history, one of the things that we will be coming up against each and every figure is the ways in which the power of the Holy Spirit is working through each and every figure. And that's what I'm very much looking forward to, John. Yeah, so please join us next week as we continue our reflection into the great ancient Christian thinkers and church history. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.